And he then decided to approach the Bulgarian mafia, people that he knew could uh, could get things done. Um, these people are people who are willing to get their hands dirty for the right price. He was driving up the road with his little girl in the car, um, and she was three years old. And uh, a, a, a guy who was in the road actually witnessed car being pulled over to the side of the road by big, white, thuggish-looking individuals. He was then ripped out of his car. Um, the, the witness then ran away because he was terrified. The child said the bosses are hurting my daddy. Do you, do you mean to say that a lot of Bulgarians here are involved in organized crime? It turned out to be like that. Mm -hmm. You can see that. See the publications, see everything. Mm. I don't know. I cannot prove that. But what the people say. Mm. This is a rumors now. Yeah. But that rumors, I think is true, most of them. Since the dawn of international trade, South Africa's shores have acted as a halfway point for those plying their wares. A place to restock, trade and move on. Not much has changed for drug cartels around the world, except perhaps what is being traded. Welcome to The Cape of Cocaine, a serial podcast production by Arena Holdings, which investigates the growing reach of the Bulgarian Mafia's cocaine routes into South Africa. Join us as we pull apart the tangled web of underhand dealings, intricate police investigations, violent threats and unprecedented court cases which have accompanied the expansion of the Bulgarian Mafia's operations into South Africa. This is episode 4, so if you are new to the show, please go back to episode 1 and catch up on what you've missed. We aren't going anywhere and we'll be right here when you are ready. This week, we reveal how a quiet Cape Town suburb was rocked by a ruthless double murder in 2018 and how that killing can be traced back to the drug rings battling for control of Cape Town's club scene. And remember Arsene Ivanov, who we spoke about last week? Well, he wasn't alone in his activities. He had a group of men who helped make him one of the most successful drug smugglers South Africa has ever seen until his arrest in 2021. I'm your host, Oren Singh. To make sure you never miss an episode of our Boots on the Ground podcast, subscribe to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Boots on the Ground takes you behind the scenes on some of the most interesting stories to be told on Times Live and other Arena Holdings publications. If you like our show, please take a second to leave us a review on your streaming app. This will help more people find and enjoy the show. The 12th of February 2018, it is a cloudless and warm summer's day in Bergfried, a suburb in Cape Town's southern peninsula. Nessie Piva and her partner Angelo Dimov have carved out a piece of heaven for themselves here, far away from their home country of Bulgaria. In Cape Town, the summers are glorious, and although the winters are wet, they do not compare to the blinding cold they experience back home. It's 8 a.m., and the couple are both getting ready to head off to gym together after dropping off their six-year-old daughter at nursery school. Nessie is renowned for her cake shop, The Cake Witch, which she makes wedding cakes and birthday cakes from home. Before they leave, she posts a picture of her latest creation on Facebook, a cake for a little boy's birthday titled Assassin and depicting a character 
from the hit computer game series Assassin's Creed. The cake would prove to be an unfortunate premonition of what would later transpire. After Jim, Piva dropped Dimov off at home and then she left again. Around 11am, a silver Mercedes-Benz arrives and Dimov lets the car in. He also lets a second car in, a Toyota Camry. The scene is caught on the neighbor's CCTV camera. But what the camera does not catch is what takes place inside the Bergfleet house. Once inside the house, one of the visitors shoots Dimov in the head. With a low caliber .22 pistol, an assassin's weapon, it hardly makes a sound in the wooded suburb. Not suspecting anything untoward, Nessie drives in. Gets out of a car and walks straight towards her death. She runs from the front door towards the gate before she is struck in the head by the hitman's bullets. Crime scene photographs later reveal that the men were looking for something, that this was no ordinary robbery. Investigators found her lying face down on the grass just a few meters from her front door. But this couple was not all cakes, suburban scenes and toddlers. Dimov was an active member of the Bulgarian syndicate and he and his wife were both linked to a senior Bulgarian mafia figure. Those with knowledge of the crime believe Dimov found himself on the wrong side of a British drug dealer and diamond smuggler who had been jostling for power with his Bulgarian counterparts. The man cannot be named since he was never accused of the crime. So from here on out, we will call him the Brit crime boss. But several sources in the underworld and police have confirmed his links to the shooting. Times Live investigative journalist Aaron Hyman has been keeping a close eye on this man's activities. In 2017, somebody broke into this British man's house in Cape Town southern suburbs. They stole many things, including diamonds. We believe that what happened then is the police had several people of interest in the burglary case. He actually went and opened a case with the police. And among the people of interest was a Malawian man who worked as a gardener nearby. He also knew that the thieves had stolen things from him that he doesn't necessarily want the police to know about. And he then decided to approach the Bulgarian Mafia, people that he knew could uh, could get things done. Um, these people are people who are willing to get their hands dirty for the right price. This British organized crime boss is suspected of having been behind a shipment of 384 kilograms of cocaine hidden inside the arm of an excavator which was discovered by Australian authorities in July 2019. At the time when this cocaine discovery was made, it was the biggest cocaine bust in Australia's uh, history. A day after Australian border police seized the cocaine, a gunman on the back of a motorcycle pulled up alongside former Bafana Bafana soccer star Mark Batchelor's car and pumped him full of bullets um, in Johannesburg. It's believed Bachelor's death 
was directly linked to the cocaine shipment being discovered. In August, so a month after that cocaine was discovered in Australia, a cell phone bomb placed under a luxury SUV detonated in the Cape Town suburb of Steenburg, injuring a British citizen. We won't name him, but this British citizen was a close associate, a underworld business partner and cocaine smuggler, and a business partner of this British organized crime boss. Don't quite know why the bombing was targeted at him. Law enforcement sources claim that during the surgery on the British citizen who was injured in the car bombing, a SIM card was removed from his body, which led investigators to believe that the bomb was detonated remotely via cell phone signal. Underworld and law enforcement sources claim that the man who was injured was a business partner of the Brit crime boss and that the bombing was in connection with the seizure of cocaine in Australia a month earlier. The Brit crime boss needed help getting his goods back and turned to the biggest and baddest guys he knew, the Bulgarians. The Brit crime boss wasn't prepared to wait for the police investigation to take its course and he wanted his own kind of justice. He knew a Malawian gardener working in the same street as his home was a person of interest in the police case and that was enough for him to decide what he would do next. The Malawian man was abducted in broad daylight in front of his young child, allegedly with the help of Dimov, the man who was assassinated in the start of this episode, and his Bulgarian associates. He allegedly approached Angelo Dimov. We know this because Angelo Dimov and his wife allegedly attempted to sell a large number of diamonds to a contact of theirs in Singapore shortly after the Malawian man had gone missing. Angelo Dimov and his associates allegedly abducted this Malawian man. Basically, this Malawian man, it's suspected, had given Dimov and his associates the information that they wanted. And when they went looking for the, the goods that were stolen, they found the diamonds, this British organized crime boss's diamonds, and they kept it. Um, they may have given uh, the British organized crime boss, uh, the other things that were stolen and may have never mentioned the diamonds. But it was when Angelo Dimov and Nesipiva were trying to sell the diamonds to a contact of theirs in Singapore, that word may have gotten back to the British organized crime boss that they were in possession of his stolen diamonds. This is not the type of person who you want to double cross. This guy, according to my underworld sources and police sources, both in South Africa and internationally, reckon that this guy is extremely dangerous. He is very well connected politically and in the underworld in South Africa. And he's also a very big player in the cocaine smuggling industry. I think when he found out that uh, Dimov and Piva were trying to sell the diamonds, he took that as a signal that he had to do something. He had to show them that you don't mess with them. A person with detailed knowledge of the crime told Times Live what happened on the day of the kidnapping. Their identity has been masked for their protection. 
they just said it was a burglary, but when we called the police and all the security forces, etc., they said, uh, no, that burglary had been actually of diamonds and guns and some very dubious mm. stuff. Then literally five days later, he was driving up the road with his little girl in the car, um, and she was three years old, and she was she was being driven up the road by her father, and uh, a, a, a guy who was in the road actually witnessed car being pulled over to the side of the road by big, white, sluggish-looking individuals. He was then ripped out of his car. Um, the, the witness then ran away because he was terrified. The child said the bosses are hurting my daddy. The gardener has not been seen since his abduction. His family fled South Africa and went back to Malawi. He has presumably been killed. Sources close to the story say the Brits later heard that Dimov was trying to get rid of 40 million rand in diamonds, leading him to refocus his investigation or revenge elsewhere. You see, Dimov was not known to deal in that kind of currency. His previous crimes were more simple and involved cold, hard cash. We interviewed some of his associates and alleged Bulgarian organized crime figures to find out more about who Dimov was and why he was killed. One of them is Jivko Ivanov, or Jack for short. Ivanov has had many run-ins with the law. He was arrested in Germiston on drug-related charges in a case that didn't stick. In 2012, authorities swooped in on his strip club and accused him of trafficking exotic dancers from Eastern Europe to South Africa. Today, he runs the Stiletto Strip Club in Cape Town's city centre, and he dismisses his run-ins with the law as a result of fallouts between him and his countrymen. Did you know uh, Angelo Dimov? I actually, I know this guy like uh, 15 years ago. Oh, uh, you knew the him? Time, the time when he arrived, you know, but I'm not, uh, I, I didn't see him like maybe more than 10 years. You were arrested in Germiston some time ago for drugs, am I correct? What happened to that arrest? No, it's uh, the, the case finished and they were drawing uh, all the stuff against me because nothing is being approved, you know. So, uh, what, do you think it was somebody in the Bulgarian community was trying to make your name bad or something? Yes, it's, uh, it's a big thing and from that day uh, I'm not involved with anybody because you try to help someone like you for me now and say, listen, I'm I'm Angelo, whatever, you know, and I know you, I saw you and said, listen, I'm sitting here on the middle of nothing and I get the rest from stuff and things and I, of course, you're a Bulgarian, I can help you, you know. Yeah. But I stop all that crap when the shit, the shit, she's the thing on really? me, you know. Yeah. But I mean... It's not necessary, it's not necessary to, to be nice and people didn't act with you the same way, you know, like, they can talk shit, in the, the sh but when the shit happens, it's happening. I mean, do you, do, do you think that there is a a Bulgarian organized crime syndicate operating in South Africa? Uh, no, 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 no. no. Uh, actually, the, 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 what I know, I cannot tell you I know, and yes, he's do, but I don't think so. 
But I mean, there, there certainly seems to be, you know, there's a lot of arrests uh, with with like some of these people. You know, I mean, if you look at yeah, but you see, you see, that, that, that's normal. They they also arrest the Zuma. You know, <laughs> I I cannot say it's a Bulgarian community and uh, organizing or something. You know, everybody come and do own things. Look, it's it's not. A, I mean, some of the some of the nicest people I know are are now in prison. Yeah, I see. You know, nice people in a prison. You know, in Bulgaria, we we have a word. You 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 went to prison. You meet the nice people, and you become a nice person. <laughs> Timov was arrested for ATM fraud in 2008, along with Serbian national Dejan Kristic. Timov was arrested again in August 2013 at his home along with his son Georgi, where authorities found them in possession of card-skimming devices. The 2013 arrest followed the detection of hundreds of withdrawals being made at Cape Town ATMs using cloned cards from hundreds of compromised Zambian bank accounts. When police investigators combed through his digital devices after his arrest, they found identity documents belonging to a wealthy Bulgarian businessman living in Constantia. The businessman Krasimir Kamenov was a close friend of Dimov and Nessie. He even used Dimov's email address according to his consumer data. Did you know Angelo Dimov? Mm, Angelo Dimov, yeah. It was a guy. Yeah. They killed him a couple of years. Yes, yes, yeah. I remember him and his wife, but it was long ago. He used to, uh, I think he used to, to deal here with the narcotics things like that, or, or uh, credit cards, things like that. Bulgarians, most of the Bulgarians here, they are low class. They work in things like that, you know. Yeah. Credit card, fraud, and uh, narcotics, things like that. Do you, do you mean to say that a lot of Bulgarians here are involved in organized crime? During the years, it, it, it turned out to be like that. Mm-hmm. You can see that. See the publications, see everything. Mm. I don't know. I cannot prove that, but what the people say. Mm. This is a rumors now. Yeah. But that rumors, I think is true, most of them. I don't know. Do you guys uh, do some sort of work together? No. What kind of work can I have with this guy, my friend? He... I understand what you want to say, but you cannot compare me with these guys. We are not comparable. With... Yeah. What I with these guys? Well, he had his... My level financially first, and then everything else, you know? Say again? They're not on my level financially to to deal with me on equal things, you know? That's stupid. I never have anything with them. Mm. It's, it's funny. You can ask everybody. Mm. Are you what, quite... I'm going to get, what I'm going to get from them, Tom. So, Angelo Dimov, um, when they arrested him in 2000 and... What was it? 2013. They they found um, your ID, a copy of your um, ID. Yeah, he on helped me, me here with some uh, some things, you know, my ID, you know, some uh, legal things, red tags here that you have to do it. But after that, I start to use some other guy because he's not competent to do this. Mm. Most so, of them, half of them are criminals. Let's be honest. By 2018, he had moved up the ranks, and it is suspected that he himself was involved in drug smuggling. Police attended to Dimov and Nessie's murder scene, found 930 Mandrax tablets on the property. Some suspect it was drugs, not diamonds, that led to his demise. With um, Angelo Dimov and his wife, um, did uh, what what made you think that they were involved in uh, the narcotics trade? Uh, everybody talk about it. 
they don't deny that mm. at all. They're not going to prove anyone. They don't going to tell to somebody that uh, they're doing that. But everybody knows because where they live from, from from what they live, tell me. They don't work here. Mm. They get some money from somewhere. Mm. They don't have businesses in Bulgaria or here. I didn't. I don't know. Maybe they have, but I I was very far away from them. Five years mm. before it happened. While the murders remain officially unsolved, those in the Cape Town underworld already have their suspects. They reveal the dangers of inhabiting this world, a world of brotherhood and reprisal, a world of extreme highs and extreme lows, easy money and easy enemies. Despite its dangerous nature, for those in the Bulgarian mafia, it presented a more pleasant alternative to life in their former Soviet Union home country. Many Bulgarians were relatively well-educated, which made them eligible to find jobs abroad after their country spiraled into economic collapse in the early 1990s. Within Comcon, the economic organization which oversaw trade between Soviet Union member states and other socialist states, Bulgaria became known as a specialized producer of electronic equipment. This technological expertise would later come in handy for Bulgarian crime groups. After the collapse of the Bulgarian economy, crime became rampant in the country with former state officials, especially intelligence agency personnel, becoming involved in crime following mass layoffs in government departments. According to the Nation article written in 2008, many of the 17,000 now jobless state security personnel already had experience running a vast criminal syndicate, namely the Bulgarian government. The author, journalist Dmitry Kenorov, wrote that Bulgaria had been functioning primarily as a criminal venture while it was part of the Soviet Union. For example, the Bulgarian Committee for State Security founded Kintex, a state-owned enterprise which smuggled everything from bullets to cigarettes to terrorist organizations and various armed groups engaged in wars. There was also a hidden transit division which still operates as a government-owned arms exporter to this day. Bulgaria's location is key. It borders Greece, Turkey, Romania and Macedonia, Serbia and the Black Sea. It is a smuggler's dream. Kenarov wrote that after the country transitioned to a free market democracy, the state monopolies were simply privatized. Smuggling and fraud through the use of sophisticated electronic devices were thus both activities which fell comfortably within the realm of expertise of a number of enterprising would-be Bulgarian criminals. Asen Ivanov and his associates were amongst those who comfortably exported those skills from Bulgaria to the world. Unlike many small-time drug mules, their speciality came in scale. Drug mules can smuggle a few grams of cocaine by swallowing a lubricated plastic packet and getting on a flight to another country. If the packet breaks inside the body, the person will be exposed to a fatal dose of cocaine, which will feel exhilarating before it turns into a full-on panic attack until the heart fails or they fall into a permanent coma and eventually die. Arsen Ivanov, the Bulgarian man who smuggled a ton of cocaine into South Africa in March 2021, didn't rely on mules who could be unreliable. He was smuggling cocaine by the boatload. But for that, you needed a trusted team. 
You see, when Ivanov was busted with a boatload of cocaine, he wasn't alone. With him were three other members of the Bulgarian cocaine syndicate. Atanas Bikov, Borislav Atanasov and Mario Vasev. All of them entered South Africa on fake passports. Some of them under fake identities. Members of the Bulgarian Organized Crime Syndicate, of the help of corrupt officials at the Department of Home Affairs, when law-abiding and hard-working foreign nationals living in South Africa get deported or have to stand in long queues waiting for months for work permits, residency permits or citizenship, organized criminals in South Africa can simply buy their right to live and work here. And it's the same for all organized crime syndicates operating in South Africa. More than that, it helps criminals slip in and out of South Africa undetected in case their real identities are flagged by any law enforcement authorities. After his reporting on the bust in South Africa, Aron was contacted by BTV, a major Bulgarian TV news broadcaster, and introduced to investigative journalist Marin Nikolov. Nikolov says Borislav Atanasov is a controversial businessman and a career criminal famous in Bulgaria for being kidnapped by a gang called Nachlite, which translates to the insolent ones and which terrorized Bulgaria until the gang members were arrested in 2010. Yeah, this is uh, the most famous of the four detained Bulgarians uh, uh, here in Bulgaria. Uh, he's 45 uh, years old, known to the Bulgarian police and prosecutor's office with the co-name Bobby Mekutu, uh, which means uh, Bobby Soft, Bobby the Soft. He was one of the victims of the kidnappings of the big Bulgarian gang Naglite in Sofia in uh, 2009. A few years after that time, the Bulgarian prosecutor's office accused several criminals of a series of kidnappings for ransoms for millions of lives. Uh, one of these kidnappings was of Borisov, who was already connected to the criminal world uh, according to the operative information of the police. Uh, why uh, Borisov was uh, uh, kidnapped, uh, the prosecutor's office and the court uh, actually failed to review categorically. Borislav, also known in the Bulgarian underworld as Bobby the Soft, ended up paying a substantial ransom and was released by his kidnappers. Bobby allegedly never really made his money legally though. According to an article by Bulgarian news website mediapool.bg, written shortly after Borislav's kidnapping in 2009, he was linked by the Bulgarian inter-ministry to car theft, robbery and possession of explosives and had been forbidden from leaving the country. The Bulgarian syndicate operating in South Africa specializes in ATM fraud. One of the investigators who has been working on the Bulgarian mafia in South Africa for several years explains how the Bulgarian mafia specializes in ATM fraud. His identity has been masked for security purposes. Uh, around about 2010, there was a, a huge problem with regard to high-tech devices being placed on ATMs, card readers that read clients' data, 
and uh, pin numbers being recorded by uh, devices and that is basically how we started to get to know or get involved with the Bulgarian syndicate. Um, large amount of money was uh, taken from clients uh, by means of card data and pin numbers that was obtained by Bulgarian individuals all over South Africa. Um, and I'm involved in a private institution that was contracted by uh, financial institutions to investigate, amongst other things, these kind of transgressions. And that's how several Bulgarian individuals uh, came to our knowledge and we basically monitored them and investigated them and also numerous arrests followed in the years after 2010. And so did Borislav, according to journalist Nikolov. Um, what does we know about Borislav? In general, uh, it can be said about him, according to information from the Ministry of Interior, uh, he was involved in uh, withdrawing credit cards and there is official information that he was in prison in Germany together with his partner. This happened around uh, the year 2000. Borislav's business partner, Alexander Torbov, with whom he owns a company in Bulgaria, was at some point also investigated for trafficking cocaine from South Africa to Europe and Bulgaria. Nikolov said the Bulgarian authorities believed Borislav was also involved and that they laundered the money made from selling the drugs through Bobby's real estate business. Uh, his partner was uh, investigated and there was uh, yeah, even a lawsuit against him in South Africa too, uh, preciously for cocaine trafficking from South Africa to Europe and Bulgaria. Uh, and then time the, uh, at, the, uh, at that time, the special services in our country also had information that Borisov Atanasov uh, also dealt with uh, this channel. And then the money they received was uh, laundered by buying real estate. Some of these facts are uh, only an operative, uh, uh, operative information in the police, but others are uh, published available. It's probably good to say that despite the companies that these Bulgarians run in Bulgaria, they are not typical businessmen because the businessman earns uh, money from the work of his companies and, they, and their business is visible to the uh, economy. The companies of these guys are not known for any visible activity in recent years. In Bulgaria, uh, in Bulgaria we have many companies like they were created for something a long time ago, but now uh, they don't work in practice. Many companies like this are used for fraud and uh, series of actions to uh, evade taxes, for example, and in general for tax crimes. But uh, others of these uh, companies 
um, are used only only as a kind of mask behind which someone can uh, commit some criminal activity. Uh, that's why I cannot call these guys exactly businessmen. It could explain why Bobby and Torbov flew into South Africa in January 2014, at the same time that Ivanov and his compatriots were planning on building a clandestine drug lab in Durbanville, as we outlined in the last episode. Then there's Atanos Bikov, a man who no one knew about before he was arrested in Saldana Bay on the Windward, one of the Bulgarian syndicate's cocaine smuggling ships. His silver hair gives away his age. He was born in the Bulgarian city of Pazerzhik in 1967. He is 58 years old in 2022. Bulgarian investigative journalist Marin Nikolov explains that Bikov bears the same name and age as the known Bulgarian criminal, known to Bulgarian police as Morkova or the Carrot. After the collapse of the Soviet Union in 1991, the economic situation in the cities such as Pazerzhik pushed people to greener pastures in Bulgaria's capital city, Sofia. Many Bulgarians ended up leaving their country and went abroad for better opportunities. Those who stayed in Bulgaria tried to make a living. Most people tried to buy into the system and do things by the book, but others just can't seem to follow the rules. Lastly, there's Mario Vasev. I heard from my sources that Mario Vasev uh, was known by the Bulgarians as killer. In Bulgaria, he is known as a suspect in the murder of former Bulgarian mafia mobster turned writer, Georgi Stoyev. And uh, we hear in Bulgaria after this uh, event in Africa, uh, several, uh, several fellow journalists uh, in Bulgaria um, already identified Vasev as one of the uh, suspects in the murder of the, re- of the writer and former member of uh, some criminal gangs in the past. Georgi Stoev, this writer, was uh, killed, was shot dead in uh, 2008 in Sofia. And he was suspected but was released. Stoyev's books were based on his personal experience in the mafia and were widely popular in Bulgaria. In fact, he practically wrote the script for his own murder when he was murdered exactly in the way he described how the Bulgarian mafia instructed their hitmen to kill their targets. According to an article in The Nation, Stoyev was murdered in April 2008 in broad daylight in front of hundreds of witnesses in Bulgaria's capital, Sofia. Georgi Stoyev two shots in the back, then a verification shot to the head. The two hitmen walked calmly away in the presence of hundreds of witnesses. Nobody was dumb enough to give them chase, reads the Nation article. It was a murder that shook the Bulgarian nation, but no one was ever convicted. And after that, uh, we don't know about him. I know that uh, he was a company here in Bulgaria, but this company is not um, is very old and uh, actually uh, it doesn't work uh, the last years. This is about Mario Vasa. And yeah, this is a criminal, and uh, yeah, the police uh, the police know knows about uh, him uh, with uh, a lot of uh, small criminal uh, small crimes. In February 2021, Ivanov, Bobby the Soft, 
Mario the Killer and Atanos the Carrot were waiting for their shipment of cocaine in Saldana Bay. It sounds like a punchline to a bad joke. But the joke was on them because some of the South African police service's finest investigators, members of the Western Cape Organized Crime Narcotics Unit, were watching them and waiting until they could catch them red-handed. Under a plea and sentencing agreement, which satisfied both the South African authorities' taste for justice and Asen Ivanov's bid for a shortened jail sentence, Ivanov was handed an effective 13-year stay inside a South African jail. Vasiev went to jail with him. He is serving an effective 12 years in jail. Bikov and Atanasov were sent packing back to Bulgaria. Ivanov also agreed to hand over all his assets to the state. All his assets the South African authorities know about at least. He agreed to pay over 13 million rand to the state. He also handed over three of his ships, one which was valued at 13 million rand. The crew from Myanmar were all sent home and declared undesirable citizens. Their country was in turmoil following a military coup and the Myanmar embassy in South Africa made it clear that they could be recalled at any moment which would leave the court without a translator. Since the Saldana Bay bust, South African authorities have made notable inroads against transnational organized crime in South Africa thanks to partnerships with law enforcement authorities in the US, Australia and the UK. In 2021, South African police made five more busts across South Africa and discovered about 4.5 tons of cocaine causing a considerable blow to syndicates operating in South Africa and sending the message that from now on, crime bosses would have to watch their backs. The Bulgarian mafia remains active in South Africa and it's likely this podcast will not be the last we hear from them. This is the last episode in our Cape of Cocaine mini-series on the Boots on the Ground podcast. If you liked our show, please take a moment to leave us a review on your favorite streaming app or forward our podcast to your friends. Cape of Cocaine is brought to you by Arena Holdings and Times Live. This podcast is narrated by Aaron Singh. Investigations for this podcast were conducted by senior investigations reporter Aaron Hyman. Script writing by Aaron Hyman. Sound design and editing by Paige Muller. Executive production by Nikki Gulish and Diane Hawker published by the Sunday Times and Times Live Investigations. <laughs>